We have two readings from the Word this morning. The first is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, and the second is the 100th Psalm. Colossians 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. with me. Father, thank you for uh, this morning, and uh, thank you, God, for um, just a little bit uh, different uh, rhythm this morning, God, as we um, step out of our normal um, pattern of uh, teaching through a particular book, teaching through First John in this case, and God, I thank you for the subject this morning, Lord, a subject that um, is obvious that it is uh, important to you, uh, that it's near uh, and dear to your heart, that it's um, your best for us, is that we, um, we who have been bought uh, by your shed blood, who've been purchased um, by your, uh, by the ultimate sacrifice, God, that we would be um, abounding in thankfulness. And uh, Lord, I, um, you know my heart. You know, God, that uh, I'm not always abounding in thankfulness. Um, sometimes I'm abounding in um, in uh, complaints. But, God, I thank you that your word is your word. I thank you, God, that, um, that we are all in process. And I pray, God, that we would, um, that we would just revel in your, um, as we're reminded of your enduring love for us and your goodness and your sovereignty, God, that uh, would just compel us to want to live our lives in joyful submission to you. So, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Spirit, for being here. Thank you, God, that your word is living and active, and I pray that you would accomplish the work that you would have uh, for each of us here this morning, for your glory and for our good, and God's people said, amen. Good morning. So we are, um, is, I missed the announcements, so I don't know if, um, if Stephen had told you that we are out of First John um, for the next, really through the end of the year. Uh, we're going to focus on thankfulness today. Um, my heart needs to focus today on thankfulness. Um, we're headed into this, um, this uh, national holiday called Thanksgiving, and uh, it's, a, it's a holiday that I love. Many of you um, enjoy it, and, um, and we just thought it would be good just to focus on um, Thanksgiving and why be thankful. I've titled the sermon, Abounding in Thanksgiving. It comes from the passage that Jolene read in uh, Colossians chapter 2. And um, yes, yeah, even as I prayed, I don't know. Abounding means overflow. Um, how many of your lives, um, as testified to by your families, would say that you are overflowing with Thanksgiving? Is that your reflex? Is that what um, bleeds out of you when um, the trials of life start to um, cut deeply? Most of us have heard from an early age that we are to just be thankful. Stop complaining and be thankful. And there's a certain sense where, uh, where we've been trained and we've trained our kids to be thankful. But oftentimes it is just an act of the will, um, which is not bad. It's an act of the will. It's a step of obedience to mom and dad. And many of us um, are just operating 
We're just being thankful by an act of the will, which isn't all bad. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, when I'm on the Nextdoor app, with some reason I became, I'm a team leader in my neighborhood for the Nextdoor app, which means I'm supposed to approve people when they come through. And, and I, I, I hate it more than Facebook. Because what I, what I see is I, I hear constant complaining. Anybody else on Nextdoor app? I mean, it's a great resource, right? Like if you want to find like somebody to mow your lawn or pick up dog poop or to watch your kids or whatever, I can't believe that somebody would find a babysitter on Nextdoor app, actually. Like how do you, do you do background checks? But it's a good place to find things, but it's also a great place to vent. People complain all the time about traffic and growth in northern Colorado. I mean, just think about just for a second. They, they want to enjoy all the blessings that we have here and then keep everybody else out. Um, how about the post office? That's been a popular one lately. Um, Nancy and I have talked about this recently. Like we, like, we haven't got our mail on Mondays for some reason for a long time. It's our day off, and I think the postmaster decided it's his day off as well. Um, but we don't get our mail on Mondays, and then um, we were supposed to get this invitation to a murder mystery um, last week, and it never came. It came finally on Saturday, and we were supposed to get a check from somebody that Nancy cleans her house, and it showed up a week later. Um, so I was complaining before that about the people that were complaining about the post office, and then I found myself complaining with them about the post office. Did you know in Nigeria, they don't have a post office? They don't have a mailbox. They've got to um, walk or, um, or ride a motorcycle with a family of five um, for a couple of hours just to get their mail. And I'm complaining because I didn't get my mail when I was supposed to get it. How about the slow internet? What is slow internet? It usually means that I'm not able to download a PDF file in a half a second. If it takes 30 seconds, I'm on next door complaining about um, Comcast. How about neighbors parking in front of other neighbors' driveways? How about complaining about Taco Bell? Some of you are on next door app and know what I'm talking about. The fact that we even have a Taco Bell, we should be thankful for. How about the new breakfast place that, that everybody is um, online um, rating? And, and people are saying that, that I got my food and it was just warm. We are a complaining culture. The things that we complain about, we don't even stop to think about that, how, how uh, amazing it is that we even have a mailbox or that we even have a Taco Bell that we even have a driveway for neighbors to park in front of. It actually irritates me that we have so much, yet the reflex in our culture is to complain about everything that we don't have. Let me get real just for a couple more minutes. You probably won't find me venting on Facebook or Instagram or Nextdoor. You probably won't see that from me. I've learned my lesson. Maybe if I wasn't a pastor, I'd do more of that. That way nobody can hold me to that account. I probably wouldn't. But if you hang around me for a bit, ask my wife, my kids, ask people at the gym, you would notice a tinge of unthankfulness in me. That I might complain about a pulled calf while not being thankful that I can go to the gym at all. Might be complaining about like an ache that I woke up with in my lower back when I just had a great night's sleep. I'm prone to complaint and unthankfulness. It's often easier for me to see what's not working well in somebody else's life. I was that way in my parenting, actually, much to my um, shame that I would oftentimes catch my kids doing things wrong easier than I was able to catch them doing things right. I see that in the church or in businesses that I've owned. I've always seen things that are broken um, quicker than I was able to see things that were good and great. Now, one thing that I want you to understand right up front is that God has called us to be thankful. But he hasn't called us to be emotionless robots. 
being thankful doesn't mean that we don't feel and that we don't hurt and that we don't grieve and that we're not sad. But somehow he calls us to a life of thankfulness in the midst of sadness and trials and grief. The Psalms contain 35 references to giving thanks to God. 18 of those instances, in 18 instances in Paul's letters, he expresses thanksgiving to God. And then he has another 10 times that he instructs you and I to give thanks to God. All in all, there's over 140 references in God's word to be thankful. Thankfulness is no minor principle in the Bible. I'm going to start with, uh, we're going to be all over the board here uh, today. So I just want to like just prepare you to like strap on the seatbelt. If you're a note taker, um, don't get discouraged. Um, Just write down as much as you can. Paul says two uh, massive, he has two um, massive commands to you and I, God's children, that are in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, 16 through 18, and Ephesians 5, 20. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. And he says in Ephesians 5.20 to, to, um, to give thanks always and in what? Everything. Like, who does he think he is? Has he not seen the world that we live in? Has he not um, seen my life at times? to give thanks always and in everything? Can you think of a, a more comprehensive way for him to tell us to give thanks always and in everything than just to flat out say it? Would you characterize yourself as a thankful person? So I want you to ponder that. Would other people characterize you as a thankful person? Are you a, half, a glass half full or a glass half empty person? I like to think that I'm a half a glass half full person until something goes wrong in my life. And then I easily see the half empty part more than I see the half full part. I've heard it said, I just saw it on a sign at some church here in Windsor that Thanksgiving isn't just a day of the year, it's a lifestyle. It's really not helpful. It's not just a day of the year, it's a lifestyle. Well, come on, I've been told all my life to just be thankful. How do I do that? I've heard also that thanksgiving is an attitude of the heart that produces joy. Well, that's great. I've also read that thankful people are healthier, and they're happier, and they have more friends. Do you want to be healthier, happier, and have more friends? Sure, we all do. Is that a good motivation for being thankful? It's not, actually. It's not a good reason. Even though I might be um, happier and healthier and have more friends, even though this may be true, it's not watertight. And Christians, as Christians, we should never have a primary motivation to live in a certain way so that we can achieve a certain result. It's called the prosperity gospel, actually. That if you do A, B, and C, that it's good, you're going to have a certain outcome. So why, would, why be thankful? If Paul says be thankful always in everything, why be thankful? And I would submit to you because it gives God, God glory. That the first great command is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That should be our goal. That should be our motivation. And the more that we understand God's love for us and His faithfulness and His goodness and His kindness, we will be compelled to live a life of thankfulness. And as with many of God's commands, we don't always feel like being obedient. Oftentimes we need to choose obedience 
through an act of the will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, even when we don't feel like it. Giving thanks, first and foremost, is an act of the will. It's a choice, even when we don't feel like it. It's a place to start. Choosing thankfulness. And when we choose to be thankful, even when we don't feel like it, it starts developing a reflex of thankfulness where we actually feel it and it actually becomes who we are. Giving thanks aligns my will with the Lord's will. Because Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of Christ. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? Is to be thankful. Is to be thankful. And the more that we see and taste of the Lord's goodness, His enduring love, His promises, and His faithfulness, the more that we will abound in thankfulness. Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Jolene read this. Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding or overflowing in thanksgiving. Abounding thankfulness. A life that overflows thankfulness is an outflow of being rooted and built up in Christ. It's the foundation or soil, if you will, that, thank that thankfulness grows from. So I want to give you four reasons right up front as to why we're not thankful, why you're not thankful always and in everything, why I'm not thankful always and everything. Number one, you think you're experiencing what you don't deserve. You think whatever trial or pain that you're in, um, you're thinking that you don't deserve it. Number two is that you don't have what you think you do deserve whatever that might be. Number three, we've forgotten what we really do deserve. Number four, and final, we take for granted what we've already been given. So being thankful, practicing thankfulness, a lifestyle of thankfulness is, um, is not only um, out of our will, but ultimately it's to um, flow or bleed out of our heart. Um, let me read Psalm 100, because we're going to spend the rest of the time in this, in this psalm. And we're going to be in some other passages as well. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his course with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. So how is it that we are to, can live out verses 1, verses 2, and verses 4? How is it that we can make a joyful noise when we want to break something? How is it that we can serve the Lord with gladness rather than complaints? How do we come into His presence with singing? Have you ever known somebody that just goes around the house and around the office um, just humming, just singing? It's, it, it, there's a root there. There's a root. I'll guarantee you there's a root in that person of thankfulness that spills over into joyfulness. So how do we come into his presence with singing? It's not talking about here, by the way. It's talking about the daily life in his presence. And then how do we enter, verse 4, enter his gates with praise and thanksgiving? Again, um, it's a lifestyle. It's not talking about a place necessarily. And he gives us clues to this. In, in, in verse 3 of Psalm 100, he says, The Lord is God. He made us and we are His. He's talking about God's sovereignty. He's talking about that God has created the heavens and the earth, and He's created everything, uh, he's created everything um, for Himself. Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says this. He, 
Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The Lord is God. He made us and we are His and He holds it all together. He is on His throne. It's understanding that God is sovereign and anything that happens in my life passes through His hands. There's nothing, brothers and sisters, there's nothing good that you've accomplished and there's nothing bad that has come into your life that He's not aware of, that He hasn't somehow allowed It's passed through his hands. That he is a sovereign God. That he never slumbers or sleeps. And we don't always understand his ways. And we will never understand his ways fully until we're face to face with him. Just a word about God's sovereignty. Because I I see people trying to... um, um, And I I thought about how to explain this, and I hope it works, because I think when we go to this place that I'm going to describe, I don't think, um, I I think we're doing an end round, uh, uh, going going around what God's best is. And here it is right here, is that when when we hit a trial um, or some type of pain in our life, we don't always need to know the good that the Lord works out of it. And sometimes I see people um, fishing for good that, that maybe they may not see necessarily right now, where they just need to rest on his sovereignty. Um, we were in, um, in uh, is it Anthony's Pizza here in town? I talked about Best pizza in town, by the way. Really good gluten-free. If you had, like, cauliflower crust, it's really good. Can you, like, order it on your phone right now? I'm talking about it. But it's really good. And we were in there. We were going to Winter Park this summer. With, we had two of our grandkids with us. And we were meeting um, all of our kids up there. And we just we couldn't wait because we hadn't, we hadn't been together since Christmas. This was in July. So we were really celebrating Christmas late in July. And, um, and so I, I order pizza on the phone. I go in there to pick it up. And they didn't have my order. And so um, and then the, the two kids are getting tired. It's about 8 o'clock at night, two grandkids. And, um, and then, I, so I reorder it, and then I'm sitting there another 45 minutes and still don't have my pizza. And, uh, and, we, and, and, a, and a, a friend of ours walked in, uh, a lady, a Christian lady, not part of this church, and she said, uh, and we told her, I said, boy, I just like, here we are, and I'm starting to get frustrated. And she goes, well, maybe, maybe what the Lord's doing, maybe he's, he's keeping you from an accident. If you would have left on time, maybe you would have been in an accident. Why is that helpful? I mean, we all do that, don't we? Like maybe, maybe if, this, if this bad thing hadn't happened to me, maybe God was saving me from something worse. Maybe he wasn't. Maybe I would have got a late pizza and got in an accident. So you just, you can't do gymnastics that way in God's sovereignty. Second part of verse 3. So first is, is that, that he is God. Next is we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. What does it mean that we're the sheep of his pasture? Remember Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. He leads me. His goodness and mercy follow me. He sees me in my trouble. He feeds me. He protects me. But it doesn't mean that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. It doesn't mean that there will be an absence of attacks on his sheep in his pasture. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be grief or sadness in our life. And I hope to unpack this as we go through this, but we can be sad. And we should grieve while allowing the Lord to um, to. Um, to well up uh, thanksgiving in us. Psalm 31 says, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love. Not my circumstances, in your steadfast love because you see me 
and you know my distress. There's nothing that we've gone through that our, the Lord Jesus Christ has not gone through. He's been tempted in every way. I was thinking about Job. We taught through Job a couple years ago, and um, I can't even imagine tasting a little bit of what Job tasted. That God in his providence allowed everything to be taken away. His business, his house, and every one of his kids. And I believe what Job said at the very beginning after the Lord um, allowed all that is that Job, by a choice of his will, gave thanksgiving. And I believe he wasn't even feeling it yet. In Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, it says that, Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell on the ground in worship. And tearing the robe and shaving his head is, is the uh, expression of the worst kind of grief. And yet, at the same time, it says that he fell on the ground, probably couldn't even stand because of the grief and the pain, and he worshiped. And he worshiped. Uh, and then it says, and then he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Nancy reminded me of, uh, we haven't had many trials in our life. We haven't had many trials. Uh, we've had some many trials, but um, after our daughter was first married, um, Nancy and I were um, driving, and we got a call from the Windsor Health Club. It said, um, is your, because um, we used to work out there as well, and they said, is your daughter Natalie Dibzinski? I said, yeah, why? They said, well, she just had a seizure, and she's unconscious between the treadmills. Um, laying there. And Nancy reminded me that as, that as I prayed, the, the only place, the, the, the place I went is, God, please preserve her. And by some crazy um, reason, I gave thanks to the Lord as we were driving towards that. And I think it was a time in my life where I was just, um, and I don't do this well, I want you to know that. But it was a time in my life where I was just, I was soaking in the sovereignty of God and the love of God and the goodness of God. And I knew that God would give me nothing. He would only give me, if I could say it a different way, only what is good for me and good for my family. I didn't know what that would look like, but I had to choose by my will to give thanks in that moment. In Job, in chapter 2, verse 10, when his wife said, just curse God and die. Just curse God and die. Take me with you, she would probably say. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. He spoke what he believed. It was an act of the will. It's what he knew intellectually. But for some um, 39 chapters of Job, between chapter 2 and chapter 42, Job wrestled with the Lord. He wrestled with them. Yes, he thanked the Lord and he worshiped him intellectually, but along the way he cried out, God, why? Why would you do this? But it said, that, and it said he didn't sin. He didn't sin once because his posture wasn't just a railing against the Lord for the sake of railing. It was he was seeking to understand why a good God would mess his life up so massively. Then at the end of chapter 42, in chapter 42, at the end, after wrestling with God through this entire book, Job finally answered the Lord. And he said this, I believe, with all of his heart. Not just an act of the will, but he believed it. He said in verse 2, chapter 42, I know that you can do all things. And I know that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Listen to this in verse 5. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I knew of you. 
I even had a relationship with you. I knew that you were good. I knew that you were loving. I knew that you were sovereign. Then he says here, but now my eyes see you. You see, he experienced the nearness and the kindness and the enduring love of God in real and tangible ways through this trial that he would have never experienced in the midst of wealth and in the midst of, 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 of no trials. So as we grow in thanksgiving, we learn to be thankful not only for the good gifts God has given us, but everything God uh, allows in our life, including trials and suffering. And I say this, brothers and sisters, I know I'm a passionate guy, but I want you to know this, that, that um, God sees you in your pain. And there's some of you that have experienced massive pain recently to the loss of parents, the loss of children. God takes no pleasure in your pain. But he sees you. And he is a good God. And he's a loving God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And you can rejoice because of those things while you're grieving. So we, can, we learn that even in grief, even in pain, we can be grateful since we still have the greatest gift we could ever want. God himself. This type of gratitude helps us to deepen our trust in the goodness of God, and it helps us to be humble in whatever circumstance we may be called upon to endure. The writers of scriptures give thanks to God for, his, for these character traits more frequently than all of his other attributes. His goodness his love and his faithfulness. In verse 5a of Psalm 100, it says, He is good. And this morning, this Thanksgiving week, no matter what you have going on, believing that He's sovereign, do you also believe that He's good? When we know the Lord is good, we will grow in believing that He has only good for us. If God is good, if he is a good daddy, if every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, he only has good for you, even though it may not look like good. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God, that those who love God, but for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Our ultimate confidence in God is not that our life gets better. Our ultimate confidence in God has nothing to do with the trial coming to an end. Ultimate confidence in God has nothing to do with um, a smooth life and a prosperous life. Ultimate confidence in God and joy and thanksgiving in Him are a result of who He is and what His character is. Listen to the prayer of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. He was told by God that his um, little kingdom was going to be wiped out by the enemies. And Habakkuk pleaded with God and asked God, why would you do that? And God, as we know from history, went ahead and took out that kingdom. But here's what Habakkuk prayed at the end of, of, of his of his letter, Habakkuk 3, verses 16 through 19. I hear and my body trembles. I hear about the enemies coming and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones and my legs tremble beneath me. What is it that's going on in your life that causes your body to tremble, your lip to quiver, your legs to tremble beneath you? Listen to what he prays after that. He's afraid. He knows that there's a major trial coming, yet he says this, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. I'll wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who um, invade us. And what he means by that is that one day God will have revenge on those people. But it's not going to happen right now. 
In the meantime, he says this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls. This is an agrarian culture. He says, not only will I have no food, but I'll have no business. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. So what God, the, the secret to thankfulness is to taste and see that the Lord is good. He only has good for his children. And next is his steadfast love endures forever in verse 5 of Psalm 100. It's one of the favorite uh, phrases of, of the psalmist. I think he says it nine different times. His steadfast love endures forever. If you know Jesus Christ, you are anchored in behind the veil. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. Romans 8, in all these things, Paul is talking about um, being stoned and being beaten and being thrown out and being whipped and being shipwrecked. He says, in all these things, no matter what your loss is, no matter what your pain is, in all these things, you are more than a conqueror through him who loved you. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And finally, so does his faithfulness to all generations. His faithfulness endures forever. He is a promise keeper. In Hebrews 12, 28, he says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7, he says, blessed be the Lord and God of our Father, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable. He's faithful to all generations, to all of his children. If you know Jesus Christ, you have an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It will never fade. It's being kept for you in heaven, and you're being guarded for it. In this you rejoice. In what do you rejoice? In the inheritance. You rejoice in knowing that you've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that will never fade, it will never perish, it will never spoil. It's being kept for you. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, this life that we live is but a dot on the line of eternity, but for, but. Though now for a little while, if necessary, I don't know why it's necessary. Other than we're being conformed to the image of Christ. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That God gives us trials so ultimately he can receive all the glory and the praise and the honor. Because he will take us through whatever trial he allows. Whatever it is, he'll take you through it. So God is good. God is loving. And God is faithful. And in the midst of difficulty, reminding yourself of these traits will bring hope and comfort and confidence and assurance in Him. Some of you have seen this, um, this video, um, but I thought it really fit well with the message. I'm not really a video guy anymore, but I want to show you this, this video, and then uh, I'll come back in about a minute and a half.
Oh, what do we got here, guys? Isn't that, isn't that great? It is so great. Um, if you've ever uh, been to a third world country, um, when Nancy and I went to Nigeria for the first time, you know, we initially came back with this like uh, massive emotion of guilt. And then we recognized that uh, because we had so much here and they had, they had, they had nothing. I mean, we stayed in the nicest hotel in the capital of Nigeria, Abuja. It's like Washington, D.C. here in America. And we, like, we didn't have running water. And electricity would go off in the middle of the day. The air conditioning would go off in the middle of the day. And we came back and we just, we had this, like, uh, emotion, like, wow, should we, can we, like, even enjoy um, uh, all the things that we have here in America? And we, we quickly realized that that guilt was the wrong emotion. That thankfulness was the emotion. There's so many things that we take for granted here. I mean, really. Um, we take for granted. And that's why I love that little video. Like, like light, um, electricity, and, and um, 60% of the world is something that they don't, um, they can't count on. Um, clean water. They walk for it, and then they get to it, and it's not clean, and they drink it anyways. Um, we've seen people, um, Gary Cooper gave us a picture once from a, a picture of a lady's feet that you took somewhere where you and Bonnie were, and it was just, that was swollen and blistered uh, because that's, she didn't have shoes. And it's just the small things that we take for granted. How about a healthy, um, happy family against the backdrop of Job and his wife? How about your healthy body against, no matter how unhealthy you think you are, but your healthy body um, with, uh, along the backdrop of Johnny Tata Erickson in a wheelchair? How about a warm house against the backdrop of somebody sleeping in the streets? The greatest contrast that will lead us to a life of thankfulness, though, is the contrast of what we deserve that we're not going to get and what we've already received. Milton Vincent said this. He said, life's blessings, no matter how small, always appear exceedingly precious when viewed against the backdrop of the wrath I deserved. He says that there is a two-layered gratitude that will um, guide my heart to thanksgiving. A two-layered, a two sides of the same coin, if you will, bookends to thankfulness, if you will. That we become grateful for the wrath that we will never receive. If you know Jesus Christ, that you will never taste a drop of God's wrath. That Jesus drank it all, and he drank it dry. In the exchange for that, his righteousness, it says in, in uh, Ephesians 1, 3, that we have been given what? Every spiritual gift in Christ Jesus. So the greatest contrast that will lead to thanksgiving is not just, um, is not running water or electricity or shoes or housing or food. Yes, we're to be thankful in those things. But what, what, what leads us to exceeding and um, and um, um, lasting and enduring thankfulness is remembering that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that because of that free gift, the only cup that we'll drink from is the cup of God's blessing, even in the midst of trials. That you got to believe, brothers and sisters, that He is good and that He is loving. 
So we're, gonna, we're actually going to um, get to celebrate communion, which is so awesome. Jesus told his disciples to observe the Lord's Supper until he returns. And he told us to observe it because we forget. I forget. In my pity parties and in my complaining, even in my grieving and in your grieving. Come on up, worship team. I forget. I forget that I'm never going to receive what I actually deserve. And I forget that I've received every blessing in Christ Jesus. We forget that Jesus drank from the cup of wrath so that there's not even a drop of God's wrath left in the cup for us. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is a profound reminder of God's covenant love and faithfulness to you and I, His children. I love this. While baptism represents a sort of I do, when it's a reminder of God saying I do to us and us saying I do to Him, the Supper, the Lord's Supper, repeats and I continue. I continue to say I do, God says to you. No matter how bad your morning was today, no matter what trial you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, he continues to say, I do. That you are his. And he is yours. John Calvin once said that at the Lord's Supper, that the Lord's Supper reminds us of the following. The wonderful exchange, which out of his measureless benevolence, he has made with us. We see that, that he became the son of man with us. He was with us so that we could become, become sons of God with him. That by his descent to earth, he's prepared an ascent to heaven for us. That by taking on our mortality, he's conferred his immortality to us. By accepting our weakness, he has strengthened us by his power. That receiving our poverty unto himself, he's transferred his wealth to us. And finally, taking the weight of our sin upon himself, he has clothed you in his righteousness. So when we behold and partake of the elements in communion, we receive by faith all that they signify regarding his broken body and his shed blood for you. So when you come up and take the cup and take the bread, just go back to your seats and take it on your own. And remember that the bread is to be eaten in a remembrance of what he's done for you. To be reminded of his covenant and enduring love for you. And his shed blood is the blood of the new covenant. That our thanksgiving to him as a result of everything he's done. It doesn't gain us anything. And we will eat the bread and we will drink the cup until he comes again. And when he comes again, we won't be doing this. It will be a massive table and all of his children will sit at that. I don't know what that table looks like. Maybe it's like heart to heart where you got little tables around. I don't know. But he will be at the table with us. And at that table, he'll remind us. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. And he'll remind you that never will there be any more sin. Never will there be any more suffering. And never will there be any more death. And by the way, at that table, those who have died in Christ, they'll be at that table with you. Amen. So come and eat.
岁。